research facility in Antarctica comes across an alien force that can become anything it touches with 100% accuracy. The members must now find out who's human and who's not before it's too late. Welcome to Spoilers. Uh, this week I'm hosting. Uh, we uh, I won last week and I chose the movie The Thing for this week's episode. So uh, let's start off around this hypothetical table and uh, <laughs> say where you're recording from and uh, your initial thoughts on the movie. Stevie? I'm uh, Stevie recording from uh, Mishawaka, Indiana next to our host Money Mike. And um, I had never actually seen this movie before you picked it. And I thought it held up really well, especially with all the practical effects. And I actually thought it was a pretty scary movie overall. I mean, it's just it's kind of like a small... I forget, Pap, what do you call those where it's kind of like a small, tight-knit scene the whole time? It's kind of like a bottle episode. Of yeah, yeah, it's kind of what I thought about it. I mean, it's, Antarctica's huge, but it's very... Where they're at is very contained, and they don't venture off all that much outside the when they discover the alien ship. But uh, yeah, awesome movie overall. I loved it. Pap, uh, this is Pappy recording from Denver. Got my bottle of J and B. I'm ready to dump it all over my chest, wizard. Um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and I really, really liked it. I'm glad you picked it. And then uh, we have the eldest long brother on the pod today because Jordan is terrified of aliens and I'm pretty sure he didn't watch this movie. Uh, He's so scared of aliens. <laughs> it's the weirdest phobia. Josh? Yeah, I'm scared of aliens too. I admit it. Um, this is a little <laughs> bit of a different kind of alien. Um, Did something happen to the long family? What happened? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's in the genes, I guess, but this is Josh. I'm from Goshen, Indiana, recording, and I guess uh, I had a lot of fun watching this movie and kind of brings you back to Kurt Russell's glory days and makes you realize kind of why he was in so many movies kind of around this time period. Um, just kind of classic actor to watch on film, I guess. Yeah, so uh, the movie stars Kurt Russell. And uh, there's a younger Wilfred Brimley, who's still pretty old in this movie. <laughs> uh, Diabetes. Diabetes <laughs> Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> uh, Keith David, T.K. Carter, and David Clennon. Um, it's directed by John Carpenter, who's known for movies such as Halloween, Escape from New York, and Big Trouble in Little China. He really loves working with Kurt Russell. Um, so uh, the movie starts off with uh, a helicopter chasing a husky dog through the ice and snow of Antarctica being shot at by like the worst the worst shot of all time sniper of all time that guy's a stormtrooper <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the dog eventually runs to the USA base in Antarctica and uh, just insanity ensues right from the get go which is what I like about this movie like right off right, right from the beginning it kind of all it, hell breaks loose it's not that slow build it's pretty yeah. immediate the Norwegian helicopter lands and tries to take out this dog accidentally shooting a USA research team member. Uh, doesn't exactly say what their research is or what they're planning on doing in Antarctica, but uh, someone gets grazed. 
The Norwegian military is not as well trained as our military. They're shooting all over the place, throwing grenades everywhere. <laughs> that they're was, that was they're a the, mess. That's one of the few gripes I had with this movie was, uh, this is definitely cheesy, was the Norwegian guy blowing up his own helicopter and that stupid look he gives as he's tossing it back and it flies behind his head. He's like, It was like such a... Very Three Stooges yeah, look. It was a very cartoony moment. Uh, just quick question. Did they reach the point where he was going to blow up everyone for the sake of getting the dog? Like he was willing to sacrifice all those people. Is that kind of what you guys took from that? That's what I thought is he was just going to chuck that grenade at a bunch of innocent people. As long as he hit the dog, he was cool. <laughs> so there is a prequel that came out in 2011, which is the story of the Norwegians up until that point. Has anyone seen that movie? My wife saw it. She commented on it because she'd never seen this one. And she said right away, because it starts off with the helicopter chasing the dog, like, that's where that one ends. That was her comment on it, but she said oh, this one was far, far better. It's not a remake? I've seen it's it not a remake, it's a prequel. Cool. Yeah, I assumed it was a remake. No, it's also called The Thing, but it's, yeah, it's it's a very similar story, and, and the, the story shares similar patterns, but that one is the story of the Norwegians, and yeah, it ends with this beginning. So after the dog, or after the Norwegians blow themselves up and get shot, the U.S. research facility team is kind of left wondering what's happening and what's going on uh, with the Norwegians. And they think uh, it's a bit of cabin fever and a bit of like someone just losing their mind. Uh, you guys want to talk about where this story heads from there? Um, I think the part of the story, I mean, it's obviously a quick takeoff. It's not a very slow build. But the part where it really took off for me is I'm terrible with movie names. I just, you know what I mean? Like with character names. Yeah, I'm I know Kurt Russell is McCready. I know yeah, that's, that's like sure. the one guy. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, he's McCready the whole time. But um, it's pretty much the point where it's after they discover the aliens and they're bringing the bodies back. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of just see, I guess, a, kind of like a tentacle coming out of like the covered body. And, like, blood dripping. The one that they find at the Norwegian? Yeah. They don't know that it's an alien. They find something that's, like, really gross looking. Yeah, which... And they bring it back. The part of the story that really took off for me, though, is where one of the the main guys there is, like, out running in the snow. And it's just... It's like the uh, alien just got done duplicating him. Mm -hmm. Or, like, becoming him. And he hadn't fully became him yet because when he showed his hands like he had like those giant tentacle Uh, hands mm -hmm. and also he did a pretty scary roar in my opinion yeah whatever that was but that's like the part of the movie where i was like okay now this is getting really intense (laughs) well i think even before that when the aliens in the dog pen which is very early on um Mm -hmm. when that dog gets back forgot about that part sorry about that no no but that it kicks it up to uh, another level right away and i really like how in these early scenes each of the uh crew members who are stuck here in antarctica have very distinct and interesting personalities you know you got a guy on roller skates you got military you got scientists you've got doctors and they're all very distinct but it's a really cool ensemble cast that uh sort of plays out in this first act that's one of the things that was kind of a gripe of mine. I've just seen this once, and it was really hard for me to kind of keep character names straight. I didn't really know who I was rooting for, you know, besides Kurt Russell. I wanted someone else to root for, but I didn't know who that was. And um, Is there a feeling that there's maybe just like two or three too many characters here? Uh, I think that there's a lot of characters. You could say that, but everybody kind of dies 
relatively quickly. It's kind of a snowball effect. Yeah, once it gets going, a lot of people die pretty quick. So you don't get attached to too many people. I'm kind of with Josh, though. There are quite a bit of characters and so many names to keep straight. I would agree, but I think the movie does a good job of identifying who the major players are. You have the uh, basically surviving four are very heavily featured, and then there's a couple surprises, you know, along the way of people who die, like uh, Windows uh, and uh, Mac. Windows and Mac uh, were together, but I, I really, I really like the ensemble cast. Uh, so I gotta ask. Uh... What did you guys think about the practical effects that were used and especially that like first body that they found that was just like horribly disfigured and gross and slimy? Quite frankly, I think this is up there like top five movies of all time when it comes to practical effects, you know what I mean? Especially I think it just it it holds up even today. You could say like kind of like along the lines, say, um, well both uh, two movies we both did, which were American Werewolf in London and uh, Alien, those practical effects were awesome. I think these were absolutely top notch. And I was, ha- I mean, I don't think there was a lot of CGI around at the time. What did this come out? Nineteen eighty, what two? Yeah, I think it was stop motion and puppets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so you're not going to have a lot of, I guess, other things, uh, resources like CGI. But as far as practical effects, I think these were absolutely brilliant. It's interesting, too, because you can compare these practical effects to another movie about aliens that came out that year, E.T., and uh, both of the creatures in that movie, or those movies, have, like, robotic, um, muppety-puppety movements, but they're so much better than seeing CGI, in my opinion. And interestingly, uh, E.T. is what, what some of the reasons blamed for why this wasn't a big success when it came out. What, people are just tired of aliens? Well, it's such a positive take on aliens. This is so pessimistic, I think, was sort of the polar opposites, you know. Yeah, and I think what made the prosthetics scarier is that there's kind of like a play on the human form and the human body and what happens when that gets all fucked up. And it's it's almost (laughs) like this alien is like a cancer that's like consciously evil. And I think that's kind of something, you know, everyone's a little bit scared of. So, uh... Things really start heating up when uh, the husky dog is brought into the pen with the other normal dogs and uh, it starts digesting, morphing, turning into these other husky dogs and uh, I can't remember the dog the dog trainer's name or whatever but he sees this going on and he's just losing his mind over it and uh, Kurt Russell gets called in and uh, he calls on Childs who is... Uh, is it Keith David? Keith uh, David. Yeah, it is Keith David to uh, grab the flamethrower and flamethrower the hell out of these this blob of uh, hairy husky so much dogs, fire in this movie husky dogs <laughs> so much fire in Antarctica he pulls the fire slash alien alarm which was conveniently <laughs> <laughs> Keith David resident uh, flamethrower guy. In case of alien break glass. Sorry, God. <laughs> like an 80s movie trope where there's a moment where characters are just like kind of orgasmically blasting huge amounts of ammo at something and just obliterating it. <laughs> Thinking like yeah. Predator and Terminator and just that over the top feeling was awesome. I think that kind of leads into like 
some of the more impractical things of the movie it was like why is there a flamethrower on this arctic base like what was the purpose of even having that what were they expecting to run into and then there's like a full-on video game arcade everybody's smoking weed and they have tnt yeah. for some reason <laughs> it's like what kind of research is going on in this arctic base I could buy the let's make a deal and even the pool table, but the weed, really? That was a little weird for me, especially with, like, it would be a military operation, correct? They'd all be government employees. Uh, I think they have contractors and just really smart people that probably kind of would do their own thing, but, yeah, it seemed pretty open and just like they had an endless supply of kind of whatever they wanted, right? J&B and weed. (laughs) Yeah, and as much jet fuel and kerosene, like, yeah. You do make a good point, though. Was it was it mil- like was it our military, or is it just government research? I don't think it ever got too specific on what they were doing down there. So I figured if it was military, there'd be like a lot of people trying to take charge, and no one wanted to take charge. Yeah, it didn't seem like there was one particular leader. They just kind of like looked up to McCready because he was Kurt Russell. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. So, what do you guys make of that power exchange? It's just kind of like. He gives him the gun, and now he's the boss? Well, the one character's a big baby about it. Uh, I don't want the power. And then, so, Kurt Russell kind of takes it over. I forget which character that was, though. What is Kurt Russell's job even? Is he just a pilot? Because I thought there was, like, a couple other guys who knew how to fly. The one really spaced-out dude. Dr. Blair? Uh. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll fly you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "No, you're staying here." And he's like, "Well, I'm glad you thought about it." Yeah, thanks for thinking about it. <laughs> Is that Palmer? Uh, yeah, I think so. I and, think so. And, yeah. yeah. See, it's hard to tell these characters apart. I'm telling you, Wolford Brimley and Kurt Russell. That's all you need to know. <laughs> but uh, after that, let's see. After the dogs, dogs get flamethrowered. Um. They lock Blair up. <laughs> yeah, now uh, now they're freaking out, and this thing has escaped. Has it escaped? There's a point. I have a question. Do you think Blair is infected at this point? Because has he had his meltdown? He has his meltdown where he's starting to break all the shit because he realizes. Right. He like destroys his. He destroys the uh, the helicopter and all like the radio frequencies. He realizes that this could destroy humanity, so he's trying to isolate them. But at this point, do you think he's a thing? Has he been thinged or not yet? I don't think. No, I don't think. Because I think the thing wants to survive. And I, I don't think he'd like want to destroy radio frequencies where they could get help if he like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But does it have to touch you? Did he ever get touched by it? Or does it just have to see you? Because the first one to get cloned is, who's the first one that we know for sure? I don't know if we do know for sure. I, I don't know. You would think it would be the dog handler, handler Clark, but it's later revealed in the film when they do the famous blood test, which I'm sure we'll talk about, that he wasn't. And uh, what's-his-name says, well, I guess that makes you a murderer then, huh? Yeah, when he goes at him with a knife and he shoots him in the head. Yeah, but I think it's the one, Stevie, who you talked about earlier, the guy who kind of, like, runs out in the middle of the snowy field and erupts. Yeah, those hands were just awesome. Or those giant tentacle hands. <laughs> Is he the one that got shot in the leg? Yeah, I think that was him, yeah. So he definitely... 
I think it was Bennings. I think he was the first one. When they saw the guy with the hands that, you know, the scissor fingers, I was under the impression that's when, <laughs> that's when they realized it could be any of them. Because um, they're kind of seeing the thing in action, replicating a human for the first time. So the rules of how the thing operates are... Explain it to me, because I am not very good. Please, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it, the rules of it are kind of not so well defined because I don't think it comes in contact with half of the people that it that it replicates well I think it does off screen well that's true because at that point once that first person is replicated you don't really know who he's come in contact with after (laughs) it's kind of confusing but (laughs) what I think what I think that we see from the uh, state-of-the-art simulation on the good doctor's computer of the cellular nature of this oh, infection. Oh, yeah, when he was playing Asteroids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that, uh, it's literally in, like almost every piece of your DNA. So, like, if you're, like, spitting or bleeding or anything, like, it's sort of, like, fluid-to-fluid transfers is sort of what I got. So, it could be really quick. It could be really subtle, too. And I didn't know if an infected person is sentient enough to know that they're infected, or if you think you're not infected, or that's all very unclear, but I like the ambiguity. You know, that might make sense with the dog scene, because I remember a tentacle grabbing one and kind of the traditional, like, it's like consuming it, but then he also just like fire hose sprayed the other one down with just like this goo. So maybe you can like, maybe there's a couple different methods of transmission there. So, uh, past the dog scene... Uh, Wilford Brimley is the resident doctor and he does an autopsy on this big, big charred up glob of husky meat. And, uh, he opens it up and he finds out that this thing can replicate other organisms with pretty good accuracy. They all start kind of freaking out at that point And, uh, it's kind of go- The movie kind of, uh, goes into like a, uh, who done it as to that's the, this is the part of the movie I like the most the best part act two yeah <laughs> the movie kind of goes into a who done it of can I trust you or are you a thing or like sheer paranoia throughout the rest uh, of the movie a paranoia psychological thriller movie. yeah uh Kurt Russell comes up with the genius idea of a buddy system to avoid <laughs> any one person being alone by themselves and being replicated without the knowledge of any other person. And he still put Shaggy and Scooby together, too, which was the <laughs> damnedest thing. <laughs> yeah. Stick the two uh, weed-smoking yeah. Doobie brothers together. <laughs> Hope for the best. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Wilford Brimley's character kind of goes off the rails and he needs to be isolated. So they toss him out in a shack that they have on base and he's pretty much left alone, um, until the very end. And, uh, what else kind of happens around this point? Well, we get to see him once with the awesome shot through the little peephole where he has the noose ready to be string himself up. And at that point he says that he started to hear weird noises at night. So I think Stevie's right that this is around the time where he gets infected and uh, uses a helicopter to build a spaceship. Um, but I, think, I don't think we've talked about them really revisiting the Norwegian camp too much either, which happens twice. Yeah, Kurt Russell and 
Not exactly sure who else goes with them. I think it's Palmer, maybe? Probably. Palmer head over to the Norwegian camp for the first time? Or oh, first Childs time. goes too. There's three of them. So they head over to the Norwegian camp, and uh, they find this hole in the ground. Are you talking about the first time or the second time, Pat? The sec- well, the second time is more interesting to me, but either way. The second time with the humongous hole in the ground? Yeah, and they find the saucer. Yeah, so they find this spaceship in the middle of the ground, and uh, Kurt Russell's kind of like, what the fuck's going on here, guys? <laughs> and uh, it, they're kind of putting two and two together that this thing is probably not from this world, and it's here to take over the world if it could. What do you think, uh, what do you think is going through their minds at this point? I think it really comes back to kind of his realization at the end that they're not going to survive and they need to sacrifice themselves. Cause there's, there's no way to know that even if they think they're not infected, they've seen people get affected unknowingly. And basically that realization that we have to sacrifice ourselves for the good of humanity is starting to dawn upon them kind of at that point. Mm -hmm. What I really liked is that, I mean, again, coming back to the ensemble is that even though we don't have an intimate relationship with all of the characters, uh, we do have some general, archetypes and each one of them reacts to the news differently like you have the stoner guy who's like oh chariots of the gods man you know like the aliens <laughs> the aliens history channel guy meme then you have the complete <laughs> <laughs> then you have like the complete denier you know and uh Null's dk carter so i like how it's sort of like you would have a diverse group of thought people would interpret it differently but i mean it is interesting that the alien crash landed, they say, hundreds of thousands of years ago. So it's, what if an alien landed on Earth 100,000 years ago, but now we dig it up? Which is a cool take, I think, for this sort of genre. So the uh, the thinking here is that the alien was in hibernation, frozen underneath the, the ice for thousands of years. And uh, the Norwegians accidentally dug it up or found something in the ice and dug it up. And uh, it woke up and took over the Norwegian camp and uh, eventually made its way over to the U.S. camp. After that finding, they head back to the U.S. camp. I kind of have a quick aside that I just thought of, and that is if this spacecraft, this alien spacecraft, had landed anywhere but Antarctica on Earth. It's game over. Yeah, I think it's game (laughs) over real quick for Earth, so pretty fortunate that it hit the icy part. (laughs) At the beginning of the movie, there's like a five second like little teaser thing while they're going through the credits of they show a spaceship and it heading towards Earth, but they don't really show where it lands. And then you find out that it's in Antarctica. But really, that thing could have landed anywhere. Just a really shitty. Yeah, bad aim. Just really poor alien driver. <laughs> well, that's what could have been cool about this, because I feel like there is a little opportunity for some world building, because it could have, 100,000 years ago, we didn't have um, global travel. So if it hits like an island, you know what I mean, like Easter Island or some other isolated group of humanity, you could have had that explored through an ancient sort of lens, because it's only 100,000 years ago, so there's people, but there's not society yet. But you're right, it was... If that hits in New York in the 21st century, there's no escape from New York. That's the end of the movie right then and there. <laughs> it doesn't have to be people. It could just be any animal, and it just will take over everything, right? I mean, we can get the dinosaurs 
get ants. I was gonna, that's kind of what I assume that the thing itself has no real form. And if you're every time it makes like one of those weird like gross shapes or it's like popping out of someone, <clears throat> that is at some point a creature it's encountered at some other point in the universe. Like the thing itself to me is just like a little teeny tiny microbial virus that that could be that that is manifesting everything that's bumped into like aliens from all over time right there's like a group think element to it where they're all separate but they communicate somehow right i think uh, so that's what, kind of what i think i think it's uh yeah i think i'd have to agree with pat but it's like kind of like a like a cell or a virus type bacteria um because we see it in different forms throughout the movie and especially like towards the end and it's just it's nothing that's ever been on earth and it's just kind of a mix of different parts and stuff so i think that's a pretty good theory as to what the thing actually is i think it's just a intergalactic virus and there's a there's a movie called the thing from another world from 1951 and then both of those movies the thing and the thing from another world are based on a book from the late 30s that's like uh-huh. a really lauded sci-fi book so i wonder if you kind of read that you could maybe get some more of these rules and um, I heard someone online say that maybe tele- like it's a cell that can telepathically communicate with other members or something like that. Which is pretty cool if you think about like a early 50s and then early or mid 30s novel talking about a microbial threat to humanity. That's more of like a modern day scare. But even back then, people were thinking about it, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, and foreign life, too. Mm hmm kind of combines those. So uh, Kurt Russell and the other people that he's with, they head back to the U.S. base, and uh, Kurt has a total freak out. And he thinks it's best to sample everybody's blood and test it with a hot metal rod because the thing will do anything it can to avoid uh, getting hurt. Best scene in the movie. Yeah, this was my favorite scene. Wilford Brimley had already taken blood samples from everybody previously before, but they go and find that those blood samples have been destroyed or tainted. And uh, so he has to draw blood from everybody again. He's armed with a flamethrower and a gun, I think, and this That's hot metal... That's what she said, dude, in the head. <laughs> and this hot metal rod with uh, Petri dishes full of everybody's blood. Everybody is tied up to chairs. And he's going around one by one, testing everybody's blood. And he gets to child's. He gets the child's blood, who, <laughs> who uh, he thought for sure was the thing, because child's has been acting kind of strange and kind of wanting Kurt Russell dead. For I thought for enough. sure he was too. Yeah. So he just as soon as he tests child's blood, the next guy up gets tested. All hell breaks loose <laughs> as. Uh, as uh, the stoner helicopter pilot uh, just get Is he the one that gets eaten, or is he the one that's the thing? He's the thing, and he eats Windows, who's the communication guy. Yeah, so <laughs> he, he, like, pops out of his skin and just... Goes to town on Windows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this part... I love this scene, but it's also, like, one of the goofiest looking scenes i actually laughed out loud as his body is getting thrown around <laughs> because oh, it's basically the- yeah it's basically a rag doll <laughs> as his body's flying all over the all over the room uh do you guys have anything you want to add to that i really liked uh when they got to okay my question is what was the guy's name who was the thing 
the helicopter pilot. Well, that that guy who was the thing. Palmer. Like, did he know he was the thing, or did the thing like, um, I guess like, just decide to like kill him then? And I don't know. Like, I, I'm assuming that. Can you unknowingly carry the thing? I'm gonna say that's intentional ambiguity that it's not revealed in this movie. That's what makes it all the more interesting. Is that you don't know who to be rooting for, or even if they know that they're the bad guy, which is a huge, awesome aspect to this movie. I don't think he knew he was a thing, because it just... Yeah, but at that point, is that even a human, or is that like a complete replica, Yeah, and there's a dead Palmer somewhere else on base? That's true. And his body wasn't harmed in any way by the hot wire, and he still goes through the freakout, so something was going on there, right? Yeah. And I, I guess I really liked how the blood just kind of turned like this. It shot up like a giant stream also. I don't know how they did that effect, but I thought it was awesome. I thought that was one of the better scares of the movie was the blood. Was the blood just shooting out and screaming? Jumping out of the Petri dish. That was a definitely great jump scare. And this is one of my favorite scenes in any horror movie ever. I think it's like a perfect climax. I think the tension is awesome. And you don't know who to trust at that point. And we've whittled down a list of big characters down to five. And ultimately, we lose two um, when Hyde from that 70s show gets eaten by, <laughs> by, by uh, uh, what's his name, Palmer. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes in horror movie history. And it's such a perfect climax and like sets us up for, for the end when everything just breaks out into hell. Uh, Josh, did you have any thoughts on this classic scene? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that I think it ends with my favorite quote of the movie. I don't know if you remember what is said at the very end of that scene, but I actually wrote this down in my notes. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! (laughs) (laughs) Who said that? Uh, The military guy. Yeah, he, he was so pissed at that point because right next to him was the thing and it was just... Yeah, okay, that part was crazy as well, because he's trying to get the flamethrower going, and it won't ignite. Well, that's one one of my favorite match cuts, too, because you have that whole eruption, where Windows gets eaten, and then we test T.K. Carter's blood, who's like, everyone thinks he's the bad guy, and he's not. So then it's like an instant smash cut to T.K. Carter and Keith David holding uh, flamethrowers, flanking Kurt Russell... Uh, testing uh, that last military guy's blood. And that shot is so awesome <laughs> with the two of them and Kurt Russell. Yeah, this scene is like a real... Uh, it's like a real Russian roulette of who's who's about to die. We know someone's going to die right here. We just don't know who. They got really smart with the two, the way it was shot, because the way he would do it is before every time someone's like blow get tested, there'd be a shot of the whole room. A shot of the person who was getting tested, then a shot of Kurt Russell, and also they would like bounce out to like bounce out to like the shot of the whole room again. So I like the way that was shot, and it kind of goes back to that power dynamic. Like Kurt Russell was used one other guy and got everyone tied down to a couch, testing their blood one by one. And I feel like at any time there could have been kind of a revolt against him, but there wasn't. So I think I don't know. That just reinforces his. He's a true born leader, and he kind of fulfills that trope, right? He's always making the decision that's... There's always the one guy everyone listens to? Yeah, for some reason or another, he is. It might be all that whiskey or gin. What is it? J&B what? Scotch. Scotch. (laughs) It's all the scotch he's been drinking. So after that scene, 
they head out to the shack to find to test Wilford Brimley's character, uh, Dr. Blair, to see if he has been infected. Um, they go out there, they find out that his body is no longer there. They find the noose. Uh, they think that he tried to kill himself. Uh, but then they also find that there's this hole in the ground, which leads to it's an underground burrowing, <laughs> which leads to an underground lair of some sort, which contains a spaceship. And uh, the spaceship has been bu- built with uh, spare parts from around the, the uh, camp, uh, which I thought was like really. I thought that was kind of more cheese to this to this story. I mean, you can't build a spaceship out of helicopter parts and. Especially because it looked like a miniature disc yeah. as well. I thought the same thing too, and I still agree with you, but when I thought about it more, I was like, well, he probably doesn't want to go off. He doesn't want to leave the atmosphere, really. Maybe he's not making like an interstellar light traveling thing, but it's just something to get across an ocean, you know? It's a little different. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good Can point. Can I ask a question about that room and kind of Blair and the noose? I just kind of wondered what you guys thought the noose was supposed to mean being in there. Is that a threat from him or something else? Uh, I, I, I took it as like he's about to get taken over by the thing. And he was similar to the Norwegian guy, close to suicide, then gets taken over. Stevie, what do you think? Well, the, one of the rules that kind of explained the thing is the thing can't take over something that's dead. Also, like it also can't like replicate like an inanimate object. So I think... Blair was getting very scared that he was going to get taken over. Safety precaution. Safety precaution, yeah. I think he was doing everything possible for safety precautions. And I definitely think he was the thing when um, he was like, I can come back, I'm better now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is like the thing with, uh, was it Palmer, the weed guy? The weed guy turning into the thing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That makes it feel like the alien is self-aware and knows that it's a thing. And then this thing with Wilford Brimley's character makes it feel like he might not know whether he's changed or not. And I don't know, it kind of like goes back and forth in between like if this thing is self-aware or if what it's taking over doesn't know if it's been infected. So it's kind of confusing in that point, but it also makes it all that more scary. Yeah, and I guess throughout the movie, I was taking it as once the thing takes over a body completely, it's basically acting at that point and wants to blend in and kind of figure out his best way to attack. So mm. it's interesting that he might lay dormant too, because it's really hard to tell if he's playing an act or not. Mm-hmm. So we keep losing uh, research facility guys. They just keep dropping like flies. And uh, Kurt Russell comes up with the idea to blow up this the thing's aircraft, whatever it's planning on doing, because it knows once it escapes from Antarctica, all hell could break loose if it gets to anywhere. Six a, months? Yeah, with a decent population. They run the math, they find out that within six months, it could take over the entire planet. Um, so at that point, this is more like a suicide mission. Uh, whether they get off Antarctica or not, they're taking this thing down with them. So Kurt Russell is armed with flamethrower, a bunch of TNT, and a pistol, I think, and he's uh, trying to take down this thing any way possible. So he tosses a stick of dynamite down in this hole where the spaceship is, blows it up, so that ensures that it's not getting off of Antarctica anytime soon. Um, And then... We never see Knowles die, by the way. Knowles. The other black guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's. We never see what happens to him. 
Is yeah, it he just that he died. He just walks around the corner. He's kind of gone, right? Yeah, like they never show what happened to him. The roller skate guy. Yeah, we never see what like Nulls. I think he made it. <laughs> Do you think he's the thing? No, I think he put on his roller skates, blasted <laughs> superstition by Stevie Wonder, and skated the fuck out of there <laughs> and survived. Right off of Antarctica. Uh, yeah, but before uh, Kurt Russell blows this thing up, he has the one final run-in with a confirmed monster in Wilford Brimley. I forgot to mention this, uh, but it's huge. It's everything. It's consumed. Yeah, it's everything is consumed. There's dog parts. There's previous dinosaur jaws. I don't know. Yeah, and backing up from that a little bit, I think that was the scariest abduction to me. I think he, when he gets Palmer, just by putting his hand on his face, kind of, and he like melds it in. That's pretty freaky. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot about it. Yeah, that's disgusting. This whole movie is very gross. Talking about the part <laughs> where he, the stomach turns to teeth. Yeah. I was just thinking about that one like scene where it's just mass chaos, where a dude's growing two heads, and one of his head falls off and turns into a spider. <laughs> <laughs> that part was so gross to me. <laughs> that was like my one cringe scene where I was cringing, like, I hate spiders so much, and this head just grew eight legs. Why did it have to be spiders? Why did it have to be spiders? <laughs> so gross. So Kurt Russell... Oh my gosh, Kurt Russell kills everything. Uh, <laughs> he, he tries to make sure that there's no chance in hell that anything escapes. Um, so in the end, we don't know about Nulls. Nulls has disappeared. We never see him again. Brother Skaten Cross. <laughs> but in the end, uh, it's... McGreedy, Kurt character, and uh, Childs. Keith David Childs uh, next to the rubble of the camp. They pretty much just agree that they they aren't sure whether each other have become infected yet or if they're both infected or if they're both still human at that point. But they agree not to kill each other for the time being. And McGreedy hands him a glass and... Uh, Childs drinks it, and Kurt Russell kind of just laughs, laughs it off, and that's pretty much the end of the movie. Uh, but there's this fan theory that's been going around that McGreedy has filled that bottle with gasoline for Child to drink it, and being an alien, the thing wouldn't know what alcohol, the difference between alcohol and gasoline. So uh, McGreedy's laugh at the end is kind of like out of desperation, and uh, knowing that Childs has become infected. Right. Uh, do you guys think that that is... I was, like, all on board about that theory. <laughs> like, because they're like, oh, I filled it with gasoline. And then he was laughing because he knew he was too weak to kill it anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's one uh, director's commentary from John Carpenter where he talked about how him and Kurt Russell spent six months on that ending alone. And he said they're both human, just too weak. And that adds also... It adds on to, like, the paranoia level of this movie mm-hmm. where, you know what I mean? Even, like, the moment before death, you still have to be paranoid of someone, like, if he's the thing or not. So mm-hmm. uh, Carpenter intended him for both to be human. I think there's a lot of stupid stuff out on the internet, too. Like, you can't see uh, breath. child's breath. Yeah. And all of this other dumb, dumb, like, conspiracy stuff. But to me, it's more compelling. Yeah, well, to me, it's more compelling if they're both human and the PlayStation game, which is the sequel, picks up right then when they're both dead. So there you go. Canon. Boom. Is it for real canon? 
Uh, yeah. Uh, Carpenter marketed for the game and said it was canon. Nice. So, what were you going to say, Josh? Yeah, so I guess I saw another similar theory where uh, Childs is wearing an earring and the thing would like spit out any foreign material like that. So I agree. People online kind of analyze frame by frame maybe a little too much. Yeah, the ending. I thought that they were both human. And I thought the whiskey thing was like, he's drinking, po- like whiz- whiskey is poison, scotch is poison, right? So he's drinking that into him. And I think that was kind of proof enough for him in his weary state that this is another fellow man and they're about to freeze to death together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's, def- it's definitely a fan theory. But uh, if that was John Carpenter's intention, he would have at least like, shown McCready pouring gasoline into the cup. That's like a, so at some point in the movie, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so just want to go around and give your final thoughts or anything as to this movie? Sure. Stevie? Um, I thought this movie was absolutely terrifying. I really liked how they did an alien movie out in the middle of, you know, Antarctica out in the middle of nowhere because I really can't, I really don't enjoy alien movies where it deals with big cities or, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Just mm-hmm. I like how it was isolated. It was isolated in a vast land. That's one thing I enjoyed. Uh, there's a lot of Scooby-Doo moments and a lot of poor writing where characters were just kind of like, well, what do we do now? Or we should go over here. Kind of those tropes of bad 80s movies. But um, I really enjoyed how John Carpenter used his camera, especially on dollies, like going around corners and how during running scenes, like the camera was smooth and not chaotic. And I thought the ending really made this movie because it's very realistic. And I think there's points in the movie where everyone realizes they're going to die. They just don't know how. And I think it was rewarding that Childs and um, Kurt Russell kind of got, I guess, the best death they could at that point outside of suicide, which is to just freeze to death together. So I love this movie. Hard yes. Pap? Yeah, this is a definite yes for me. I think one thing that we haven't touched on yet that is worthy of mentioning is that uh, Maura Cohn, who wrote the score to The Hateful Eight, also did the score to this film. And then uh, up until this point, John Carpenter has scored most of his own films. So Halloween, Escape from New York was all John Carpenter. Uh, Maura Cohn did a great job of mimicking the John Carpenter style, which was awesome. Um... And that just lends to the whole overall greatness that is this film. Um, I don't have any problems with it at all. I think it's actually one of the few perfect horror movies that have ever been made. I think it's my favorite Carpenter, even more so than Halloween. Definite, definite yes for me. And Josh? Like I said right away, fun movie to watch. I had a few frustrations in that, you know, there was a mystery element, but I didn't really feel like there were enough you know, breadcrumbs to really figure out in your mind who it was. And I think there are a lot of questions left unanswered in the end. And I was, I was thinking no for this really coming into this. And I don't really like the horror thriller genre, but I think the way that this incorporates the sci-fi element and just kind of being able to nerd out and talk about, you know, why the cells divide and can they telepathically speak to each other? And at what point is he, conscious as a person i think all that stuff is just cool to try to flesh out and i think this movie has enough original aspects to definitely give it a yes um so i'll give it a yes 
Also, uh, there's an X Files episode called Ice in their first season. Ice. It's almost exactly yes. like this. So I kind of felt like I'd seen this story before, and I had, but um, played out in a cooler, more scary, freaky way with deformed humans. So anyway, yes. Uh, yeah, this is a yes for me. Um, I've seen this movie before, and I love it. It's a great horror movie. Uh, the practical effects are like some of the best you're gonna see. And considering how it's aged, they still hold up relatively well. Um, it does have some some cheese in it as far as, like, okay, there's a flamethrower <laughs> for no reason on this Arctic base. Uh, people smoking weed and stuff like that. Uh, but, yeah, it has one of the best high-tension scenes in the blood test scene as far as a horror movie goes. And uh, I think it's just a great movie. Kurt Russell is such a badass and <laughs> throughout, and uh, it's a really fun watch. So this is a yes for me. What? Well, why is Kurt Russell such a badass? Why? I don't get it. He is because he's, he's so like definitive masculine in every way. Like he's so in charge. He has the. Vo- he talks like John Wayne. He looks like Jesus in this movie. <laughs> he's just killing it. He's got a cowboy. He's got a sombrero that he only wears when he's flying the helicopter, <laughs> yeah. which he just does for fun when he's drunk as fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good answer. Just, I gotta say. Just on a side note of this, this movie bombed at the box office, right? <clears throat> it made its money back, but barely. I think like okay, okay. nineteen well, points it, from fifteen to nineteen point six. I got it in my notes. Oof. Ebert reviewed it as a. Uh, uh, a horror movie meant for teenagers, like kind of a grab at like jump scares, and he called it a, a barf horror movie or something like that. He has no idea what he's talking about. No, it started a war of words between Ebert and the uh, like publicist or whatever. Like the publicist called Ebert a fat fuck, pretty much, and then Ebert fired back saying, "No one will ever see this movie." It was it was intense. You should look it up. Like it's crazy. Well, it's just surprising to me. Like, I'm happy that John Carpenter stuck with sci-fi because a short time later he came out with the movie Starman, which is one of my favorite alien movies ever made. With Jeff Bridges, I believe? Yeah. Oscar nominated. Oscar nominated Jeff Bridges' performance. But um, I was just surprised that a studio gave him another shot at another alien movie after, I guess, kind of a disaster the thing was. Uh, so after our four yeses, that means that this movie is preserved. Um... Next uh, next up is uh, some trivia, if you guys are ready. If you have anything else you want to say. Or... Nope. I'm pumped for trivia. It's been two months since I've won trivia. That's what I'd like to say. Two months? Two. I haven't won since Gremlins. Oh, I forgot. Ooh. <laughs> All right. So... Thanks. So, uh... <laughs> there are 17 known species of penguin located oh. throughout the world. How many species are located in Antarctica? How does this work? Uh, closest to. Who goes first? Josh, do you want to go first or last? You're now. Oh, I'd definitely rather go last. No brainer. I've heard how you guys <laughs> trap each other in. <laughs> so, if there's a march in Antarctica every year, you also have Alaska. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, the Mexicans and Happy Feet. Happy Feet. Yeah, the Mexican penguins and Happy Feet. Um, <laughs> What's the movie with the pearl where they hide? 
Hey, the Pebble and the Penguin? Pebble and the Penguin. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, I'm going to say there are there are 13 species in all of Antarctica. Pat? Out of 17, how many in Antarctica? Yep. 14. You? Oh, well, I think it's low. Um, whew. Instead of trapping them in completely, I'll say 11. The answer is two. Only two <laughs> species God of penguins. Damn it! In Antarctica. Uh, so, Josh, are you going to be here next week? Do you want to choose a movie or? Uh, I would love to be if I'm invited back. I mean, maybe you guys need to talk amongst yourselves first before that happens. No, it's this no, no, a movie, man. You're in. I think you guys are going to be kind of mad at me, but I wanted to start off with just a complete classic that I think we oh all God. grew up with. Uh, you guys have the quote from it on your front page. The movie is Pulp Fiction by Quentin Tarantino. You guys haven't Ooh. done anything by T- Quentin Tarantino yet, so I wanted to change that. That's an awesome pick. Yes. I was afraid he was going to like the 1940s black and white movie. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, next episode, whenever we get that out. Uh, we got some plugs. Anybody want to plug? Pat, play us out. <laughs> if you'd like to email us, it's podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Our Twitter is spoilers underscore pod. Uh, actually, good news, boys. We've been trying to be the first in some search results on iTunes. If you search for... Movie spoilers. We are number one on iTunes. Wow. So that's the for best real? way to find wow. us. Yep. Wow! What an achievement by us. If you search for movie spoilers, we're the number one one right there. Click reviews. Leave us a review. That's the best thing you can do. Um, thank you to Joshua Wayne Hensley, who's playing the theme song that you hear right now. Am I missing anything, guys? Uh, Leave us a five star review and or any review or a one star. Yeah, I don't Bashes. care. Fuck you. Yeah, or just yeah. mention a movie in the comments and uh, we'll review it. Honestly, uh, that should be it. This is spoilers. Math teacher, Mark Math Paper.